BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai. I'm remarried and living my best life ever. See, there's so much life after divorce. I'm starting my new chapter unapologetically. I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me on the journey. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday. So buckle up. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I'm very excited today to have with me Joy Berkheimer, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, sexologist, relationship expert, author, speaker, and much, much more. Welcome, Joy, to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I've been reading through your sort of very long list of credentials and sort of trying to pick out what I'm interested in. Not that I'm not interested in all of it, which I am, but what stuck out to me is your polyamorous relationship and yeah. non-traditional partnerships. Because obviously, I mean, obviously, I mean, not like that, but I have kind of a non-traditional partnership. And I think that it's the way forward for everyone, different types of relationship. I mean, I don't really know what yours looks like, but I'm very non-judgmental and I feel that the world is changing and whatever works for that person and that it's hard enough to find a partner anyway. So (laughs) what is a polyamorous relationship? Okay. So, so many of us do our poly so differently. So the general definition would be to be or identify as polyamorous is that you have the ability or the desire to have more than one intimate partner. So intimacy doesn't necessarily mean a sexual partner. It could just mean a certain kind of closeness, maybe some romance, because there's people who do not actually have sex who are still in polyamorous relationships. So it's just that ability to kind of know that my love is infinite. It's not finite. It doesn't just kind of fit in this one pie. I have plenty of it. So you get your (laughs) cake and eat it, basically. Oh, absolutely. Eat your cake. Eat your cake, please. (laughs) So you have a partner and then you have Mm -hmm. lovers. Is that what it is? Well, so if you're polyamorous, you are able to identify these other people as people that you also love. So you would actually identify everybody as a partner. So they could be your lovers and your partners. There's different levels of that, I guess, depending on what you are comfortable with. But they're all your partners. But if you're lucky, they're all your lovers, too. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is amazing. And okay, are your partners men or women? Both. Mine. 
but you know, for everybody, it's going to be different. So you don't have to be someone who is attracted to everybody just because you're polyamorous. And okay, so how do people navigate this kind of thing? Because, you know, actually, more and more people are sort of going to open marriages, the longer they go on, I've seen, you know, and I've seen that in more traditional families, actually, where they've sort Mm -hmm. of said, you know, we've built a business, we've got, you know, we run our children, we have our house, you know, we really don't want to split up, but you know, things aren't great. And I always wondered how that could work because I'm like, okay, well, you know, surely somebody gets, you know, one person falls in love. I don't know. But I mean, like if you have multiple partners at the same time, how does that fucking work? It's a lot of work. <laughs> it sounds a lot exhausting. Of yeah, it can be exhausting. You know, and you also need to know your limits. You know, you shouldn't have if you can't manage five partners or four partners or even three partners, don't do that. Right. So, you know, even though I might feel that my love is infinite, time is not right. And obligation is obligation. So you may have a partner that you identify as, say, a nesting partner or an anchor partner. And this is kind of what you're describing, the person that maybe you built your life with. And I don't want to break up my life. This system works really well. And you don't have to have a problem to want to be polyamorous. Like you're relationship, your nesting partnership may be perfectly fine. This could be your best friend, you know, and you just have other relationships with others. Jealousy is a very normal thing to happen. So it's not like if you experience jealousy, you can't be polyamorous or open. You can, but we need to talk about it. And a lot of times in our monogamous relationships, the problem comes with us being polite, holding things in, us being passive aggressive and not saying, I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling jealous. But if you're going to have an open relationship, you need to communicate what's happening for you. Communication, I've said this a lot, was played a big part in my divorce because we are, as you just said, trying to be polite in in marriages because you don't want to upset the other person, especially when I think first marriages, when you got married young, I see this a lot. And as you get older, obviously we change, we evolve, we grow, everything sort of, you know, and my ex-husband said I was like being married to nine different women. So it's probably true though. <laughs> it's probably true, yes. And it's quite hard to roll with that because you never know what you're going to w- wake up to, right? So I'm fascinated <laughs> by all this because I do feel that life today is very different. You know, we have mm-hmm. so with Instagram, you're two steps away from meeting people, yes. you know, all of these things. It's just so much easier than it was back in the day and harder to stay faithful to people that I feel like, you know, the pressure that people have to remain monogamous in a relationship for the whole of their lives and feel like they failed or they've done something terrible if they don't is, is not right. And so, you know, I'm not actually, I don't know if I could advocate polyamorous relationships and fight. I think that sounds exhausting, but I mean, amazing to you, but again, do you have children? I don't think you could do that with a whole family. Could you like, have lots of you, can. Or you see lots of people have that children. have oh you have children I, it, I, I do and and again people poly so differently you have people who actually come together the reason they're poly is so that their children can be raised by the village so to speak right so say you're in a triad you have another person who lives with you and everyone takes responsibility for the children but also maybe you're in business together so you take responsibility for that you travel together you take care of your parents together so it's more about a community and Again, different people are going to do it differently. It sounds like what would be more comfortable for a lot more people would just be open. And I'm not going to have these romantic, committed relationships outside, but there's an allowance for me to have experiences. And so yes. you can be poly and still feel that way. Yeah. And that's, and so it doesn't, it's, it doesn't have to be exhausting. Again, it depends on 
what your desire is. And we need different things from our relationships. So it's what just do you see different. mostly? What kinds of people like family? Ther- like, would you suggest this lifestyle to somebody if they came to you and their family and they, they felt like they needed to change? Or is this something have you had traditional relationships and just preferred this? Or is it something that people kind of know that they want to do from the get go? People might know, but we are raised in a culture where it's not okay, even though it wasn't the original relationship type for us to be monogamous. But yes, culturally, we are told that it's wrong or we're told that if you love another person or if your partner loves someone else, it means they don't really love you. That if someone wants to share, it's about you not being enough. So, so many people don't do it because for them, it's a reflection of them not meeting some need. But the reality is one person doesn't meet everyone's needs anyway, which is why we have friends, which is why we have family, which is why we have a sister and a cousin and those types of things. So it's not realistic for one person to do all of this. The other part of the reality is plenty of people identify as monogamous. They're just not ethical with their non-monogamy. So it's not that people are not doing what they want to do or they don't desire it. They don't desire the stigma of what it looks like to claim this desire. That's more of what that's about. I mean, so. 78% or something ridiculous of the world is Correct. is uh, unfaithful. So I think if you start from that statistic, you are, you know, and, and, and work backwards, you're setting yourself out for failure before you even begin, aren't you? So, you know, I kind of think that we are looking at it wrong if mm-hmm. if the world is doing it. And I always say the biggest lies are in marriages. So I actually mm-hmm. do think, you know, being able to have this, view i mean maybe polyamorous relationships is like a step too far from a traditional to there you know and there's a probably a happy medium in between there's so much in between that so if you are enm or ethically non-monogamous that's all the things in between you know monogamish so maybe that we have someone but we have someone together that every once in a while we visit with or maybe we have some people that we see every once in a while but we know that we're always coming home But you can do the same thing with polyamory. My partner and I identify each other as our lighthouse, right? So this is the space I always come back to. I see you, I come home, and I feel empowered to have these adventures, experiences, connections, love, because I know I have a home base, right? No matter what, I still feel loved in these situations. So it just depends on who you are. Some people will only date with their partners, whether they're polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous or they're in the lifestyle. And some people just want to have the experiences on their own. But there are so many agreements that go into it. So you're right. It's a, it, is, it can be exhausting and it is a lot of work. It's not for everyone. So no, if someone comes to me, I'm not going to say, I think you should be polyamorous. However, at this point in my practice, I've completely switched it over to just sex therapy and polyamory or ethical, ethical non-monogamy support. So if they come to me, they're coming because that's what they desired in the first place. But when I was working with traditional couples, it wasn't like, I think you should do this thing. I want to know what their needs are and allow them to kind of put their relationship together in the way that lines up with their values, not my values. So... And what about like children? So your children, how do, how does it affect them? Do you feel like, do they know? Are they aware? Do their friends know? My children don't. My children are younger, a little bit, they're teenagers. So to me, it's a little bit younger. Some people's children, they absolutely know because the partners are all helping them raise each other. They're picking up the kids or cooking dinner, that kind of thing. Or it could be a situation where you have someone who comes to the home or you travel together and in the children's minds, like this is family. That's just what we do. We just kind of all travel together. Just like we're monogamous, just depending on your affection level, everyone's not 
sitting around kissing and walking around naked. It's not like that. You know, some people tell their, their children, some people do not. Some people have successfully incorporated their children into their lifestyle, meaning making them aware. And some people have told their children, their children are very upset about it. So it's, it's knowing your, your family, knowing your children. Everyone does not tell everybody everything that's going on in their relationship. And you're not required to in order to enjoy that lifestyle. Okay. So if you're more of a traditionalist and you come to see you for sex therapy and things like this, what, well, what does that entail then? If, if somebody's sort of sex life is waning? I check into what's going on with the couple's intimacy. It's typically around that. It could be something physiological and I will assess for that. But a lot of times when it's about our desire has decreased, statistically, a woman's desire is going to decrease and it's going to be a little bit harder for her to be aroused opposed to a man, right? So we're working kind of with different desire levels and looking at what has decreased the desire. Are you friends anymore? Do you even like each other? Is there an argument that you've had years ago that you still haven't gotten over? Was there an infidelity and I don't feel safe sharing my body with you? You know, there's several little things that happen. So it's interesting. People come to sex therapy and thinking I'm going to like show them all these moves and I can, but (laughs) that's not typically what happens. I'm more so trying to find out what's underneath your connection. How do you really feel about sex? How do you feel about each other? What cultural views do you have that maybe make you feel shame about sex, right? Can you be present in your body? So it's not necessarily just about the sex, but about your view around it. I mean, I think, you know, it's also like down to circumstance, like my husband and I right now are in the middle of a giant move. He would love to have a lot more sex than I am giving him right now, which is about (laughs) big fat zero, because I'm like, he wants to christen every room in this house. That's a lot of christening. (laughs) No, but my kids are here. The builders are here. I don't have a bedroom right now. I'm sitting in the thing and I don't feel I could, I mean, I'm actually like, could think of anything worse right now. But, you know, that doesn't mean to say I hate him or my, you know, things have changed. It's just for me, I'm not relaxed. Do people just come for like, you know, help to get some spice back in normal relationships? Or is it just, you know, what normally when they're more at the tail end? Usually at the tail end, you know, because for people, I think they think that sex therapy can be extreme. So they're coming to me when they've let it go so long, and they don't know what to do and how to get back to it. But It could be something like what you're describing, not being relaxed, not being able to be present. And we tell ourselves, I just can't do it. But then we kind of work through it a little bit because the reality is sex and orgasms helps you relax. You probably would have a better time. I'm not saying you have to go have sex right now after we get off the podcast, but I'm saying you probably would be able to release some of this tension and feel better and do better. You don't have to tell them I said so, but I'm just saying (laughs) that's the reality. And I help people understand that even if you don't have desire, it doesn't mean you can't have pleasure. If you allow yourself to be there and just kind of breathe into that and let that moment unfold, the desire will come. But if we always say, I'm only going to have sex when I have this level of desire, a lot of us will probably never have sex. It doesn't mean we don't need it or actually want it. You're right. So he's going to love that. And I, I, I must do better. So what happens then? Do you see people that sort of have more open relationships, you know, that not as um, sort of full on as a polyamorous relationship. I know married, well, it's kind of like cheating, I suppose, but married couples that don't tell each other, but it sort of brings the spice back into their life. And actually Mm. I've seen it improve marriages and, and, you know, really help people through and sort of be a better Mm. wife or husband to their partner because they're satisfied in other ways. 
Absolutely. I mean, if I'm just happier in general, I'm probably going to be happier to cook you dinner. I'm probably going to move a little bit different in the house. You know, I have a glow about me and it has nothing to do with your lack or I'm angry because you couldn't produce this thing that maybe somebody else did. I'm just happy in general. You know what I mean? So I can just be present and happy. But the people that I see, because I do specialize in polyamorous relationships, they're typically going to be polyamorous. And the reason I do that is because being E&M is fun. Being poly is fun, but being poly has so much work into it. And I want to be present for people who I know struggle. It's it's hard, right? I can give a whole lot of suggestions as to how to easily be E&M and you can just kind of fly with it. But being polyamorous is such a psychological thing for you. It forces you to look at yourself so much. It forces you to look at all the insecurities you have, attachment styles. And so that's how I come in clinically. So that's why my focus is usually more on polyamorous than anything. Well, that's what I was going to say, because I can't imagine, you know, for me, it would be I don't know the sort of the different partners, but you're saying you don't sleep with them all. But you know, just you don't just have because to. It, you might, but you don't have to. Yeah. Like, is everybody that does it that sort of joins? They also have the same lifestyle. Like, I've never met anyone that's polyamorous. Like, how on earth do you meet? How do you know that someone's into this? Yeah, I mean, we we would say so. We have what is it in South Florida? We have Meetup.com. So our Meetup probably has about a thousand people in it, and we might have events that we go to and a thousand people never show up at one time, maybe like 30 people will show up, that kind of thing. So we know who we are. We just know how to find each other. And it's so interesting. Most people feel like they're by themselves. And I run a support group twice a week and I have everyone announce where they are. And they're always, oh my gosh, you're around the corner. I'm like, I know, right? I tell people it's like, because we're not walking around with name tags in the grocery store saying I'm polyamorous. You have met people who are polyamorous. You just don't know. So let's take a little break from the show. And all of you out there have heard me talk about Cozy Earth a million times. It's my absolute favorite bedding, bathroom, and home loungewear brand. I think you saw me on my Instagram wearing their uh, pajamas, which are so, so soft. They've made my everyday life more comfortable and cozy whilst giving me the best sleep ever. Cozy Earth has allowed me to sleep deeply um, without being interrupted by things like being hot or uncomfortable in my own skin, because as I've told you all before, they have this sort of temperature control, sort of, I don't know what it is. It's like in the sheets. It's unbelievable, which is great for me because I live in Dubai. So I'm always feeling a little bit hot or, you know, you can get cold from the air conditioning. So they kind of regulate your skin, which is key when you live in a hot country like me. And I also have such a busy schedule, um, especially at the moment. So it's so important to me to be well rested and energized and not grumpy each day. And Cozy Earth really enables me to do that every single day. Named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018, Cozy Earth has its best-selling bamboo sheet set, which I've also got for the house. And I love, love how soft these sheets are. They are offering in a variety of pillow sheets, blankets, and so much more. So I have actually bought the entire set for my new bedroom and they come in many different colors. So that's the hardest decision you're just going to have to make to match your interior design of your room, which as you know, when you have pillows, towels, bed linen, everything that matches, it just makes the room feel 
that much more special and sort of luxurious. They've also done these bed sheets now in linen, which gives you this kind of like crisp, casual elegance. And it's timeless and sort of so easy to use. So I, I really do live by these sheets. And one thing I keep going on about is cozy earth is actually softer than cotton because it's made from sustainable visco from bamboo fabrics so the more you wash them the softer they get today cozy earth has provided an exclusive offer for my listeners 35 percent off site-wide so that's on absolutely everything when you go to cozyearth.com and use the code dnd that's cozyearth.com use code dnd for 35 percent off site-wide how amazing is that Let's get back to the show. And just like that, your favorite besties and tastemakers, Benito Skinner and Mary Beth Barone are back. Did you miss us? You know they did. Join us every Wednesday on your way to Sephora to hear our witty, ridiculous and irreverent musings on life, the universe, existence and of course what we currently ride for. You're going to absolutely live slash die for this podcast. You might even, dare we say, ride for it. So what does your husband think? Does he ever got jealous and said, let's just quit this and let's just be us? He hasn't said, let's just quit it. But yes, he he has gotten jealous. We've both been jealous before for different reasons. Yeah. Jealousy typically is going to be either because you have, say, an old wound and something is happening that's poking at it. It could be from this relationship or it could be from childhood or from a previous relationship. Um, and you've been together, be sorry, how long? Uh, well, with my current partner, four years. Four years. Four years. Okay. So it's still new. Mm-hmm. And it, you, it's, yeah, it's, it's new, but we've been through a lot, especially being poly because we started right out the gate with it. So it was, it's been a lot. So when you, um, mm-hmm. as a lifestyle, how does it work mm-hmm. then? Because I, I think when you have affairs and people sort of have an open marriage, it's kind of cloak and dagger, right? So they go to a hotel, but this mm-hmm. is much more open. How does that work? Can you bring people back to the house? It's much more of a lifestyle. Your children know you have the other partner and they meet the other partners and every, your husband knows when you're going to the bedroom. Like, So we have different boundaries. So for my house, no, no one comes to our house, but right. most of my partners have their own homes. So typically I can go to their homes or we might go to an Airbnb. Maybe we'll even travel together. And so if we're on a trip together, it's we're on a trip. So wherever we're staying, but it's not something where we have to have this whole process in the house and walk them past the kids and, and things like that. But again, some people do that. I know some who live with their, I believe she lives with her husband. She lives with her boyfriend. They all take care of the children. And she would be someone I identify as a metamor. So she's actually my partner's partner. So when he visits her, she lives in a different state. They kind of have their own space together, not in the house, somewhere else. But he knows all of her partners as well, right? So it just depends on who you are. Everybody's just what's comfortable for them. So and also what's your purpose? People have different reasons for wanting to have polyamorous relationships. So what are the most common reasons then? I mean, what what would lead someone to get, get into this lifestyle? They start having crushes on people and they're like, why? can I not control myself? I'm a whole full adult. I should stop having crushes. What's going on? (laughs) And they recognize that they don't want to be unethical. They don't want to lie to their partner. They have some guilt about this and they eventually talk about it. And somebody does some research like, hey, did you know there's a thing called polyamorous relationships? And they kind of start researching that and try to get out there and connect with other people. And the same thing you're saying, they're like, well, there's no one who's polyamorous. So you have to do your research to find people. But it's typically when one partner 
is honest with the other, that they have a very strong desire for someone else and they don't know where it's coming from and they can't stop it. So if you are a person who you like being honest with your partner, you bring it up. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to open your relationship, but there's a possibility of it if you are honest with them and you help them understand. I don't want to not be with you. I don't feel like you don't make me happy. It's just, this seems to be making me happy as well. So what do we do about it? So what is the difference exactly between a polyamorous relationship and an open relationship? An open relationship is typically going to be more about being physical with someone and, you know, having that kind of intimate fun and having no expectation or obligation to this person that you would, I don't know, buy them a Christmas gift or pay a bill or things like that. You're kind of just meeting maybe at a designated space. It could be at a club. It could be just like a one night stand and then you go where with a polyamorous relationship, it's I have actual feelings, compassion, and care for you. So if you got hurt, I'd be visiting you in the hospital. If we were together, I'd bring you to the emergency room. I'm probably going to be at your birthdays, right? Or at least I will be giving you a gift every birthday. Like I'm in a relationship. You can look at it just really as having a group of friends, the same way that you would kind of engage with your friends. It's it's the same thing. You might have sex with these friends is all, (laughs) but they're relationships. They're not like, one and done because some people cannot connect sensually if they do not have an emotional connection with somebody. So that's primarily what happens there, and w- which is what happened to us. So, so they're much more emotional relationships than sexual relationships. Yes. How many kind of relationships? I mean, are, are they normally straight relationships, or because uh, you know, is it is it more like couples, like with other couples, or is it you know, is, is it gay and lesbians, like? How, how is it? It's everything you could possibly imagine. So it could be lesbians. It could you could be bisexual. The men could be bisexual. The women could be bisexual or pansexual. You could have people who are asexual, so they're not even having sex with anyone. Well, so you can just you have, can just it's kind of like having friendships as well. If you don't want to have sex, people don't. Correct. Okay. You don't have to, and everyone has to. Everyone's giving consent, and the thing that makes it different than cheating is that everyone is aware that there are other partnerships. We're not sneaking people in there. You know, you don't have to necessarily meet them depending on how you are poly. There's so many, oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell you all, but there yeah, are it a lot. It sounds so, so out there, but when you, when you describe it, it just sounds like a, like a, le- you know, maybe a better version of an open relationship. It's a tribe, really, you know, there's support. So I like maybe my nesting partner, I talk to him throughout the day. We might plan out what we're going to do this week or for dinner. And my other partner, I might text and just see like he has COVID right now. So I'm checking on him and making sure he's okay. And do you need me to bring you anything? And then another partner might be less frequently that we talk because our styles are just different. But I, I love all of them. I appreciate all of them. It's just different levels. Everyone has a different need and it works for you because the truth is, yeah, I can't spend all my time with one person or all of them. It's not going to be equal, but primarily if they also have a partner, it's fine. We are able to kind of work out meeting each other's needs enough and being happy. Well, that's what I was going to say as well. I think, how do you know how much time to spend with each person? Because, you know, do they actually add where you spent an extra day with him and I'm your partner? Mm, yes. It, sometimes if you have a, what's called a hierarchy, your partner who is at the top of the hierarchy may have the primary time and the two of you kind of decide how are we going to divide our time. You can actually move from having this primary partner and switch to another one when you realize that the way that your life fits together 
works better for you. That doesn't happen a lot though, but some people do do that, but it doesn't really happen that much. So you get into this relationship, you form a bond, you have this sort of network, everybody kind mm-hmm. of meets each other and in a way it's kind of like one big happy family. But what happens when it's not? Why would you break up then? <laughs> what, what causes people to break out of this? Because if it's, if you're having your cake and eating it, what ends the relationship? I mean, the same thing that ends any relationship, really. So if I have, say I have three relationships, I, the same problems I would have in a monogamous relationship, I could have the same here. You know, maybe this thing makes me upset. Maybe I don't, maybe my values don't align with you. Maybe you voted for somebody I, I didn't like. And I just now realized it six months later. I'm like, whoa. What happens with paying bills and things? Like if you're traveling with your partner, like how does that yeah. work? Paying for, what do you mean? Like a, the well, actual like, you know, trip? When you, when you have a boyfriend or you have a partner mm-hmm. and you're going on holiday mm-hmm. with them, normally, you know, they pay or you, or you, I don't know, or you split it, but like, how does it work if you've got like multiple partners who's expected to pay or who pays her household bills and things like this? Or if oh. you need if you need like stuff for the children or whatever, do, do, does everybody help out? No, no, no. It's not like a, not like a commune. It's not like that. Exactly. Right. Like, so it's <laughs> my nesting partner is the person who's responsible for our house. But if I go on a trip with another partner he's going to pay for that. Or I'm going to, you know, pay for some of the things, especially with my female partner might be a little bit, the dynamics might be a little bit different, but it's not that different from traditional standards, which I'm not, I hate to say like, we are still kind of with this patriarchy kind of thing. So yes, my male partners probably pay for the things when we go places, but they don't all come together and put a collection together. So, you know, myself and this one other person go on a trip, like he takes care of your husband. It doesn't want to be paying for the flight of your lover. No, I'm sure. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's not a thing. Nope, we don't do that. <laughs> I'm presuming. So I'm just yes. wondering how that works. Or you go for dinner and it's like, you know, how how does it work? Who, who buys dinner? You just take it in turns. Yeah, that particular relationship is happening in that moment. And so all things that are happening there are the responsibility of those people there. No one else is really involved. Unless you're in a relationship where all of you are dating each other. So like, for an example, you could look at a triad and it could be two men and a woman. It could be two women and a man, or it could be three men, or it could be three women, right? And so the three of you, if you all went out together, you figure out if everyone's going to split it or if, again, if we're doing the patriarchy, if the man's going to pay for all of us, that kind of thing, which also leads me to talk about the fact that if you're going to be open or poly, you need to be able to afford to live this life, honestly. So it's not going to be. You go between, I see on your face, you go between loving it and going, it's hard. It's really hard. (laughs) So like, I mean, have you been in normal relationships? Not that this isn't normal, but like, you know, you have. And and so on a scale of one to 10, where do you mm-hmm. put this? Because I mean, it might, I, it sounds fun for about a week to me. And then I think <laughs> I, <would be> like, <laughs> I could never go back. Could it's never just, go back. Okay. I could, I couldn't, but it's mostly because it's my nature and I have a name for it now. And I didn't recognize what that was, but I've always felt this way. What, I just greedy? didn't act on it. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I've always felt this way. I'm like this one person, like he's great and everything, but <sighs> Yeah. So, and but, I've been through a lot of experiences. Wait, wait, wait. In Everybody terms- feels like that. Everybody feels like that. When you pick a partner <laughs> after a while, thing. you see someone that's hot and you go, oh, she'd be nice. Like, <laughs> you know, he'd be nice. That's what everybody does. But, you know, 
but you you just allow yourself to go oh let's go get that one too yeah i mean i i'm not out here just snatching them all up it's not that easy <laughs> but i allow myself i love loving i love experiences i love different perspectives so what i will say is every single one of my partners is different in every way like in every single way their personalities the things that they bring to the table the things that they expose me to the way they cook the way they make love like everyone's completely different so I love that. Just to imagine like, there's all these beautiful things like in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and we're just going to eat this one thing. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would we do that? So I just, I feel, I feel blessed to be able to have an abundance of loving experiences. The work is there, but again, you have to know your limit and you have to be with people who are willing to be healthy about their communication because it's more work when people are holding things back, when people are dealing with like, so you could be dealing with anxiety. You can be dealing with depression that we all have normal things are going on, but we have to be willing to be upfront about it and just, and manage it and not just push it aside. That's going to be the huge thing. So. So tell people what your book is about. The first book, why won't he call is about dating basically. So if you're going to get into the dating game, which is so tough right now, you don't want to get into it and be swayed by what everybody else is doing and the values you think you're supposed to have. Like, oh, I have to sleep with you or I have to say this or I have to not ask for what I want so that you will like me. So it's basically like, why won't he call? It's not about, okay, send this text message and then he'll text you back. It's about understanding who you are and what you're settling for and what you really deserve, what you desire. So that when you put yourself back in the world, that energy you put out there, you're going to be attracting different people than before. I'm a big, big believer in that. I believe, mm -hmm. you know, that it fix yourself and the right person comes, you know, yes. it's always, I, yeah. it's not about the guy. So why won't you call? I love that name. And mm -hmm. the other one, the other one is why hasn't she answered the call? But that's super specific. That one I created out of my, or for my PhD. And that book is specifically for women who are bisexual, living in a culture where we can't be authentic and kind of giving them steps to be able to be more authentic with their sexuality. So that's exactly. Well, thank you, Joy. That was fascinating. I'm going to go back and rethink <laughs> my relationship immediately. He's listening and having a small heart attack over there. He's like, one yeah. of you is enough. But it was really interesting because I've never met anyone in a polyamorous relationship. And actually, it sounds it sounds better than I thought it was going to, to be honest, having had it described to me. But thank you very much. And thank you for coming on Divorce Not Dead. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind-the-scene action. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.